0: Hi, I'm Charlotte. And I'm Anna. And this is Ace Chats. This is season three, where we continue to chat all things health, fitness, lifestyle, parenting, fashion, family, wellbeing, and so much more. We have loads of amazing guests and topics to discuss on this series. As ever,
1: if you have any questions, please drop us a message. Otherwise, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at ace.transform, where we will continue to give helpful advice and tips on all things health and wellness.
0: Now, this week's topic is really interesting.
1: Yeah, we interviewed um, Dr. Miri Kahan, and she is a, well, she's a GP, but her specialty subject is diabetes. Um, so diabetes in itself is a really interesting topic for the real gritty stuff
0: that we wanted to get into is talking about um the new uh, diabetes slash weight loss drug which is the injections that you will have all heard of as a yep um it was just fascinating
1: hearing all about sort of what's going on in the uk first of all with what how they're being used why they're being used supply and demand um how they're being abused um elsewhere. Um, what was really interesting, I was actually just having a chat with her the other day and she told me, I haven't even spoken to you about this, um, that there were these huge supply issues which we knew about. But she was saying that actually some of the pharmacists are just hoarding them and basically waiting until the supply is so low that they can put any price on them and they know that people are so desperate for them That's from awful. a weight loss perspective it's just it's so unethical it it's, really is it's like the mafia the and, sopranos for yeah. weight loss well there really needs to be the government involved don't they and putting yeah. some sort of limits on things um but it's such an interesting topic we know
0: you know the kardashians and loads of other people we see in the. well people are using it cosmetically so obviously if you have an obesity issue um then you um should have access to it. Yeah. Um and obviously if you are a type two diabetic then um it is also used to help keep that um under control. So people who are just using it to lose a few pounds or to you know just suppress their appetite yeah. um and essentially abusing it because really they don't need it for any kind of medical purposes um well, you do you know, think it's a well, it, well, it
1: depends when, if, if there is a supply of it, let's just say we get to a situation where there is plenty of it and someone decides to dabble in it. But that's is different.
0: It, Ethically, that's different. Yeah. I think at the moment, where people who are genuinely their health is going to be better because of it and they yeah. can't get access to yeah. it, and people are being able to pay for it. Yeah, just because they want to lose a few kilos, that's where it's
1: quite uh, morally incorrect, isn't yeah, it? Definitely. Um, and uh, Mary was telling us how um, she's now having to think about treat her di- diabetic patients. Um, using other treatments, which is just crazy taking someone off of a treatment that's working because they're for the supply issue. Anyway, it's a really interesting topic. It's a big ethical debate. Um, and as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, what do you think? Do you think it should be everyone should have access to it? Do you think that it should be something the government is prescribing or something that should be paid for privately? We'd really love to hear all of your thoughts. Absolutely. So, so- enjoy this one and uh, speak to you soon. Hi, hi guys. We are here today with Dr. Miri Kahan, and Mary is a GP who has a special interest in diabetes. And we thought it'd be really great to get her on here because um, the hot topic at the moment is this weight loss magical injection, Ozempic. Ozempic's um, not the official name. Go and remind me what it's called. Semaglutide, and that's the actual um, what generic. That's yeah, so that's the drug that's inside um
2: Azempic and Azempic is the brand name. Right. Uh, Wagovy is actually the one for weight loss. But okay. Azempic's the one that everyone sort of heard Yeah, of they they're country.
1: everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Daily Mail, the works. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to discuss this weight loss um magic drug azempic how it's being used for weight loss um or well, how it's used being being used for diabetes too um what the implications you know i'm sure well, we've got loads of questions so um i'm sure um, so interested
0: the fact that it wasn't uh, necessarily created for weight loss but to help type 2 diabetes patients i guess lose weight yeah
2: Yeah. So yeah. So I mean, that's that. I think that was kind of an aside that they happened to lose a lot of weight with it, which is obviously important and helps with the diabetes control. But actually, that wasn't the main function of it. That wasn't the main reason for it. So what is so what is the main function? Okay. So um, to give a bit of an introduction to it, um, the medication, uh, so semaglutide, um, it's a what we call a GLP one analog. Um, so g l p one is this hormone that you produce that everyone produces in their gut um, and it basically is the hormone of satiety, so it tells you when you 're full and um, when you eat, it gets released by the stomach and it sends messages to your brain that says "Stop eating i 've had enough and it sends a message to your pancreas to say, "Hang on, this person's just had a bunch of food. you need to release some insulin um to be able to deal with that, to be able to utilise the glucose that's been, to, that, that's been being absorbed now. Um, so that, that's what it does. So the idea was that what they realised was that in diabetes, there's lots of things that go awry. And one of these things is that actually they, they seem to produce less GLP-1. Um, so if you give them some more GLP-1, they then produce more insulin in response, um, which then helps them to manage their sugars. Right. Um, so that, that, was the, that was the thinking but it so happens obviously because it's sending that message to your brain as well saying I've had enough to eat they also eat less and they lose weight with it and the fact that they lose weight also means that they become a bit more sensitive to insulin because part of the problem in type 2 diabetes is that your body is more resistant to the right. insulin which is because they often because of obesity um, the fat makes them less less sensitive to insulin. So this medication essentially has got a dual purpose.
1: And also, obviously, you lose weight. Your health um, indicators are going to improve massively as well. Yeah. So, But what? how did a diabetes medication work, or type 2 diabetes medication, work before this was sort of created? So there's different ones. Um, the main medication that most
2: diabetics will get started on is something called metformin. That's yeah. the one that, that most people initiate even now that would be a kind of our first line and that sensitizes your body
1: to insulin so um when would you get prescribed that would it be at sort of pre-diabetes stage so they do
2: sometimes give it to pre-diabetics
1: um but
2: mainly sort of the people as they when they first get diagnosed that's our first line medication um and it's it's a really really good medication as well and really important that people don't think that they shouldn't use that, because um, that is our first line and, and it is really important. Um, so that's, that's great. And then you've got other medications that work in different ways, so there's older medications like Gliclozide, which basically makes your, makes your pancreas produce more insulin, right. um, but it's in a different way okay. to the way the GLP one does. Um, and then there's, there's obviously insulin, which yeah. is literally just giving your body what it's missing. The problem is in type 2 diabetes that it's not a lack of insulin normally that's the problem. It's the sensitivity to that insulin. So when you do end up going on to insulin, um, which people eventually down the line often will, they need quite big doses um, because their body is so is, is so resistant to it, basically.
1: So how did it happen that Zempic or the other brand, yeah. um, sort of became available as a, as a weight loss drug. What was the sort of turning point? When did this all happen, in fact? So the first
2: time that there was a GLP-1 analogue available um, for diabetes was back in 2005. So they've actually been a, okay. around a long time. The problem at that point was that um, they, the medication they had um, had to be given twice a day. So no one actually really wanted to inject right. themselves twice a day. Um, and it's sort of, the, it's got better and better and they've come out with more and more ones, um, options. So then it went to once a day and now we're at this once weekly um, where there's, there's two types actually. There's another one um, called Trulicity. So it's a Trulicity and a Those are the two major ones that okay. we talk about that are once weekly preparations. When they did the trials, they realised that Particularly with a pick, people lost a lot of weight like right. we're talking about about on average sort of fifteen percent weight loss um, when you're using the higher doses so that's that's quite a lot., I, yeah. mean, I think about a third of patients lost more than 20 percent or more Wow. so it's, it's, it's big weight loss um, and so obviously people thought wow this would be amazing
0: if we could also use this just for weight loss even without type 2 diabetes. Can I just ask, mm-hmm. uh, going back to the type 2 diabetes, are you seeing people um, kind of going into remission from type 2 using? So remission's a tricky one because remission suggests that you can come off all medication. Right.
2: And um, so no is the answer because most of the people that go on this medication particularly as most of the people we're starting on it, this is not their first line medication. They, right. This is probably like third line. Right. Um, so they're already on other things and then we're adding this in. Um, most of those people are not going to ever be able to come off their medications unless they drastically, drastically change their lifestyle and everything, which obviously the hope is that it kind of retrains yeah. your body a bit and that you can do that. But for most people, no, they're, they're going to be on this. But it does lead to really impressive reductions in their sugars, Okay. Um So it certainly controls their diabetes well. And what's actually the most exciting thing from our perspective is that this is the first medication, well, actually there's one other medication, but class of medication, but it's one of, of, of these two medications that actually has got benefits from a cardiovascular point of view um, for patients as well. So we know that in the trials, it actually reduces the chances of them having cardiovascular events. Okay. So there's less less sort of non-fatal heart attacks. Um, and there's also the, the other thing that was amazing was um, the kidney outcomes as well. Um, so it reduced the progression in people who've got kidney dysfunction. So people less likely to need dialysis as well. Okay. And these are the things that actually kill people with diabetes. Yeah. So you've got a drug that finally doesn't just reduce sugars, but it actually changes the whole prognosis of the condition. It's Fantastic. exciting, isn't yeah. it? It's yeah. like,
1: uh, I mean, do you reckon that this will be tweaked further or is this like, right, we've got the wonder?
2: No, so they are. They, they're they constantly bringing out new ones. So there's a new one now that's a combination of the GLP-1 and then they've also added another hormone to it as well and they see sort of a, synergis- a syner- synergistic effect. So the two together seems to create an even better wow. effect. Um, so you know, they're, they're tweaking all the time, um, you know, with the weight loss version, so with yeah. Govi, which is the one that's actually licensed for weight loss, um, they're using higher dosages than they were before and they get even greater weight loss with that. So there's constant new ways to market okay. it, and it's certainly in the
1: drug company's interest to come Definitely. out with the new new uses for it. In terms of being used as a weight loss drug, how much research is there out there? Because so there the, there was a big trial that was done um, with Wegovy yeah.
2: um, prior to marketing approval. Um, so that's that is the same thing. It's the it's, it's the um, semaglutide, yeah. But just in higher dosages. Um, so it's exactly the same as said, it just goes up higher, the dosage. Um, and that, so there was a big trial that was done, and that was looking at people who did not have diabetes. Okay. Um, and it showed really impressive results. The weight loss is actually greater if you don't
0: have diabetes. Interesting.
1: Is, is, is what it looks and like. And long term, what happens? Oh, sorry,
0: just very quickly, why is that? Is that anything to do with the drug having to work? a bit harder to uh, other areas
2: yeah so i i don't i don't think that we have an exact reason but it might well be that if people with diabetes have a defect in their glp1 if they're not actually if if they don't produce that much i guess you're kind of you're giving them back what they don't have whereas in someone who perhaps maybe has their own Mm. intrinsic glp1 working better and then you're adding in extra you're getting an even greater effect. That, that could be why, but I
1: don't think we've got any, like, you know, necessarily firm evidence for that. Right. So um, from a weight loss perspective, you've got a, um, a patient taking it as a weight loss drug. They get to their goal weight. Mm. Um, what happens next? Yeah, so this is tricky. So, so you the data
2: shows that for the first about um, 60 weeks, you continue to lose weight. Okay. Um, so that's, that's sort of a, a few months of, of weight loss. Um, and then it sort of tails off. Yeah. When they did the kind of follow-on trial, looking at what happens to the people that stop it, it looks like those people do tend to regain. So it's, it's on average about two, two-thirds to three-quarters mm. quarters weight gain um, by a year. So okay. you, the reality is if you stop it, you're likely to put it back on. But if you continue it, you probably wouldn't continue to lose much. It, it would tail off, so you wouldn't keep losing more weight, but you'd maintain that weight.
1: I wonder what happens to people's hunger levels. So obviously the drug makes them feel, you know, well, l- full. Yeah. And it, obviously it doesn't teach you anything, it doesn't teach you about eating better, does it? I mean no, it's the not biggest problem but I wonder if the your um, levels go up back to your, where they were previously or, or higher. I wonder sort of So so the I, I think
2: that what the what the trial seems to suggest is that you go back to where you were exactly before. Were. That that noth- you know, once you stop taking it, it's an appetite suppressor. So mm-hmm. when you don't take it, your appetite comes back. And if you don't keep going with the sort of lifestyle changes and things that you've made, then you're you're likely to just basically yo-yo straight and the, back to where you are.
0: And the issue with this is that it's an appetite suppressant, um, but you're not as actually necessarily having to make many lifestyle changes. You're just eating less, essentially.
2: Yeah. But the marketing approval, which obviously it doesn't mean that people aren't using it in a different yeah. way, but the marketing approval is that it should be in conjunction with a, low, with a reduced calorie diet and also with increase in physical activity. And so that's, that's part of the reason why we as GPs are not currently allowed to prescribe it for weight loss. Because the thinking was, we don't have the ability to put those things, those other things in place for patients. Um, and so what they're saying is it has to be done, they have to be prescribed in what we call a tier three weight loss clinic. And there they have access to dietitians as well. They have access to, well, I mean, they'll come up with a fitness program for you. and um, so like exercise on prescription that sort of thing which we we struggle with in general practice
1: because we just don't have the resources so that was the thinking Mm. um and i know that there are obviously going to be certain guidelines in prescribing uh but there seems to be a whole host certainly I, i and again like forgive me daily mail you know every other celebrity is having these injections and looking fantastic on it and, you know, sort of who is prescribing those? Is it just private doctors who don't have much to lose? I don't know. I I think that basically, yes, if you, as a
2: private doctor, you can prescribe it. There's nothing stopping you from being able to, um, really, at the moment, except obviously, there is an an ethical dimension Mm -hmm. to it Um, and certainly at the moment I'm sure everyone sort of heard about the fact that there are big shortages Um, and so I think we all feel quite strongly that we need to be preserving what we've got for those people who need it most Um, and at the moment when there's such a shortage really intriguingly ideally we want it to be going to those people with poorly controlled diabetes Um, because the situation is that actually for a lot of my patients they can't get hold of it for their diabetes and they really need it Um, and some of them may end up having to move on to other medications
1: like insulin um, which wouldn't necessarily be ideal for them. It's crazy isn't it because I know so many people you know in sort of our community of northwest London who are managing to get hold of these yeah and uh, you know people who really need it obviously struggling to get hold of it it's a bit mad it really is mad yes I, I've got really mixed feelings about it because on one hand if you are overweight and there is such an easy way to lose weight from a you know health perspective it's like well why wouldn't you it's an absolute no brainer mm. but there's such a fine line between someone who is you know well
0: I guess it's interesting because I guess you can start looking at uh, the point where someone is pre-diabetic So they're not necessarily there yet, but Mm. their lifestyle, their weight, all the things that is going on in their lives are pointing towards it. Um, And if this is something that can stop them from getting there, then are they just as, um, what's the word I am looking for, Um, able to have it than someone who's already got type 2 diabetes? What do you think?
2: Yeah, so I, I think that's a
0: good argument that actually
2: it's it's preventative medicine. The difficulty is at the moment that I think we're sort of in firefighting mode, and um, prevention is a hundred percent better than cure. But we've got all these other people who really really need it just to you know manage their blood sugars, um, and without it they're in they're in big trouble. So obviously in an ideal world yes great if we can start giving it out to all these other people i think most you know most of us would say fantastic yes we want them to have it it's just that we're limited at the moment by the supply issues and once that supply chain ramps up which it will do um i mean they're talking about supply increasing next year so twenty twenty four, which is still a while away yeah. obviously. But um when when things do then I think that
1: there will be a lot more people who will be hopefully eligible and who will benefit from it. I'm sure there'll be other pharmaceutical companies as well who will start producing similar So the issue is at the moment
2: the patent. Right. So it's on patent until twenty twenty six. Okay. Once it comes off
1: patent then yeah, it's gonna be a fair game. <laughs> and I I wonder if things will change for you as GPs as well. Yeah, I I mean I I, I think it's I, there is a pilot
2: that i believe is coming where nhs gps will be able to prescribe it for weight loss and they'll see does that work out um and presumably they will then put in more of the resources that we need in terms of exercise and dietitian input and those sorts of things and um, use an outsider and that will be really exciting yeah. and, and
1: hopefully if that works out, then yeah, the future is bright. How many people a day are asking you, asking you <laughs> for it as a weight loss? I've got other friends who are GPs yeah. and they're telling me not a day goes by where someone says, can, I, can you not just prescribe me as empic? <laughs> it's really funny. I, um, I feel like I get asked about it more in my social life probably than I do in <laughs> my work life. But
2: that probably um, is a bit representative of the population. Yes, where have, you work um, and where I'm working. And I think that, yes, there's a lot of interest. Unfortunately, um, very often it's the people that we really want to be on it, who really need to be on it, who really don't want it. Um, yes, and we were we really, this, really we? put off by the idea of injecting, um, and the potential for side effects. They just cannot like get their head around the idea of any of the side effects, which there are there are definitely side effects. Um, so
0: yeah but But we all know (laughs) that a lot of people out there we know will do anything for weight loss anything uh, especially for a kind of something that just stops them from eating I mean it's like the dream isn't it it was
1: very tempting I'll be honest
0: it's really very tempting um you know
1: and we're talking about people who are normal normal sized you know and it's but what but but would you want that if it came
0: with lots of nausea and vomiting? It's a good no, question. Um, no, personally, I, I, <laughs> but I'm also someone that um, doesn't love to take kind of medication or mm. to, uh, so I'm not sure I would love to do something like that. I would rather focus on, uh, but I don't mind focusing on my food when I need to, whereas for some people it's much harder.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so I guess it's, it depends on where you are. Yeah. I guess what's interesting to talk about from here is basically how can we then if we're talking preventative um, not only for people who are kind of aesthetically wanting to change their weight but let's talk about the people that are kind of pre-diabetic can't get their hands on on the weight loss drug but want to you know what can they do to kind of stop them from going over the line
2: yeah so I, i think that the lifestyle medicine is so important um you know you're never going to get away from the fact that ultimately it's it's about diet and exercise like that's the I mean, we, the yeah we, we preach this every day don't we yeah if, um... yeah um and there i don't i don't think that there is a quick fix um I, I think as i said these medications are meant to be used in conjunction with that they're not just instead of um and you know, lots of people who have been on them, who've had the side effects, will tell you it's 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 no easy road. Um, there are some people obviously who don't have much in the way of side
1: effects, but a lot of people will. Um, and that. That's what are apart easy. from the uh, possible vomiting and nausea? What what are the other side effects? So the main the
2: main things are these sort of like gastrointestinal things. Um, some people get tummy pain, diarrhoea. With that, those are the main side effects, and obviously feeling full. Yeah. Um, quickly. Um, there are some other rare, much rarer side effects mm. so the, the serious adverse events that um, they were worried about in the trials were um, a slight increase in pancreatitis mm-hmm. so, um, some people, which obviously is, is very serious yeah. um, and some gallbladder disease as well um, so those are rare side effects but they're all possibilities and so it's not, it's not a risk free solution yeah. um, there's also been some reports now in the papers that people might have read about there were concerns about people becoming suicidal on the medication, um, which is something that, certainly in the trials, um, I, I don't think that they, there wasn't, I don't think there were actually any cases of people committing suicide, but there were some reports of uh, uh, that people may have some sort of suicidal thoughts yeah. with it, and that's now being investigated further by um, the European um, agency for medication they're, they're doing a, um, a big investigation into that so we'll see what their findings are at the moment and these are sort of more case reports mm. as opposed to actually being any good like hard data And um, but who knows what they'll what they'll come back and, and find um and the other one that, that there's been a bit of press about as well some some case reports in the states people saying that after taking it they found that I saw that the that yeah that problems with with gastric emptying and stuff that didn't go away and that they were left with this constant problem that every time they eat they basically vomit or feel sick Um, but again these are just case reports and diabetes is also associated with that so it's difficult to know if the diabetes is it the medication we don't know we don't have enough information but I think the point is that everything you take, everything you put in your body, yeah. including yes, you food. You, yes, but if you,
0: cigarettes. yeah, 100%, I mean, if you open uh, any medication, it yeah. will give you a major list of what could, you know, potentially happen to you. Is, exactly.
1: is what's going on in the UK a, a fair representation of what's going on worldwide? Is in, this? And the shortages? Yeah. Um, it, it's not, I don't think it's
2: as bad, um, in the States. Mm. So, I think that there's greater availability of a Zanpec there um wagovia is definitely an issue so that the weight the one that's actually yeah. licensed for weight loss that there they have issues as well so people can't seem to get their hand, their hands on it there either um so yeah i think i i don't think it's it's not only a uk issue yeah. but it's possibly slightly worse here at the moment than it is in other places
1: and in terms of administering it it's obviously a self uh, yeah. administering injection yeah. um, and it's, you said it's weekly where do weekly. people, in their stomachs in their tummies is where we recommend injecting it. and it's very, it, it's, it's very
2: easy to do, it's not difficult um, the technology now with the pens is yeah. yeah. such that it really doesn't it doesn't feel like it, it's not like taking a, a, you know, an old fashioned needle so. and syringe and, and sticking it into yourself so um, I don't think anyone should be put off by that
1: element of it okay amazing isn't it i just i find the whole thing so fascinating because we obviously help people on a daily basis improve their lifestyle try and lose weight and so much of what is involved is you know if you tell someone to eat less that's very straightforward but the mindset changes the behavioral things you know mm-hmm. it's it's years and years of dieting history and you know
0: it's, undoing it's, yeah you know, and it's just bad habits
1: it's crazy to think that there is an injection that can almost just wipe that clean
0: Well, it wipes it clean but again um like mary said it wipes it clean for not necessarily forever if they come off the drug and that's that's the biggest problem you know when you're dieting when when we put people through our programs we are giving them all the tools to change their life whether they then go on and do that is another thing um And that comes down to obviously hard work, a little bit of willpower and a real want to make Mm. those changes forever. But if you're going on a drug that doesn't really teach you anything and then you come off it, you're a bit left high and dry. It's a bit like when we talk about giving people a meal plan, let's say, and tell them exactly what to eat and they'll lose weight. But as soon as they come off the meal plan and they no longer have anything to follow they, you know, go back to their old ways. I'd also be tempted to sort of eat all the chocolate because, if, you know, <laughs> if, if you only have a little bit of chocolate
1: and suddenly you feel very satisfied and full, you yeah. know, you start thinking, oh, yeah. maybe I'll go for all the things I shouldn't be
2: eating. For sure. It doesn't make you... It doesn't mean that you have to eat healthy. Yeah. You still eat what you want, but just in smaller portions, basically. But
0: it's a bit like how people end up um, kind of going around their gastric band and things like that, you know, at the beginning people manage to um keep their weight down but after a while they find ways of getting more calories in, um, expanding, um, and things like that. I don't know
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know anyone recently who has had a um any kind of bariatric yeah. surgery and how the technology has changed in that respect and if that's got better. Yeah. Um but I know people that in the past have managed to completely, you know. Yeah. So they go they back. I mean you're talking about something
2: that's the, the kind of weight loss that we're talking about is is almost on par with these weight loss surgeries. It's not quite as much as you'll get with the weight loss surgeries, but it's it's heading in that direction. Um, and certainly the newer generation ones that are being developed, it may be that we get to that point. And that's partly also because one of the mechanisms when they're doing these weight loss surgeries, so gastric banding, not quite the same but um the newer side is the bypass operations which right. are kind of the preferred ones um one of the ways in which they they work is by increasing your glp1 right. um so that that is it, it's it's similar mechanisms at play Interesting. how does that how do they do that uh so it, it's searches. it's to do with the way in which they're rerouting the the gut basically um and it seems to yeah essentially what they found is that that you you increase the production of GRP1, um, and that... That's really it, interesting,
1: yeah. but I know from clients who have gone through sort of um, these similar surgeries, I'm not sure sort of which version of it, you know, you they make you go on these courses, um, and they're really good. Mm. I listened in on one, it was a Zoom call, it was over um, COVID, so it turned to Zoom, and it was sensible advice. I'm not certain that anyone was ever going to sort of take it on board, but at least... They're doing the right things, you know, they've got the right things in place, whereas I don't know if they sort of start supplying as as a proper, you know, weight loss drug, or they are, what they're doing to um, alongside that. I wanted to ask you how it uh, behaves on sort of different uh, people. So if you've got someone who's considered clinically obese um, versus someone who is slimmer, you know is are those medications are those these injections going to behave similarly are they going to you know how does it differ so bear in mind the trials were mainly in people who were
2: um very obese so people who had bmis over 35 right that said um a sort of about three percent were people who had a BMI between 27 and 30, and when they sort of actually did the subgroup analysis, um, interestingly, females and those who had a lower BMI lost more weight. Hmm. So if you started with a lower weight, you actually lost more. That's so
0: interesting. Yeah, Yeah, because usually you would think it's the other way around if you've got a lot more kind of um, less uh, necessarily stubborn fat, but just a lot yeah. more visceral. But that
1: could imply that something is, you know, possibly altered within people the obese who people are yeah. obese. Yeah,
2: could be. We don't, so we don't know why. But that that does seem to be um, what the data showed. But as I said, most of the people that were getting it in the trials were people of higher BMI, and there have been no trials in people who have a BMI less than 27. Right. But obviously, as you mentioned before, there have been celebrities and yeah. people like who have used it. Um, who probably have BMIs less than twenty-seven. Yeah. But
0: um, there, there's no, there's no sort of good trial data. So this is all anecdotal stuff. So... And is there at any point during taking the medication? Is there any point where someone um starts becoming, um immune to it or it just stops responding? And if so, what happens? Or is it just a matter no, of- No, so
2: I think um, it's just sort of at that at that 60 week mark, the weight loss just seems to tail off and they just kind of maintain it as long as they stay on the medication. Um, So it's not that they're becoming resistant to it. They just sort of, I guess, reach a state of like equilibrium essentially.
0: And if they still need to lose more weight, if you feel like their health markers aren't there yet, but they've done these 60 weeks they've lost quite a lot of weight would you then say right we want to up your dose
2: i think if they're on the maximum dose which the way in which it works is um certainly with the wagovi you increase um incrementally so you start on the lowest dose what which is lowest? to try and reduce the side effects so i think it's 0.25 okay um But don't quote me on that because Wagovi is a bit different to the, and I don't prescribe the Wagovi. but I believe it's the 0.25 dose that you start on and then they basically increase it uh, every four weeks and you go up. um, And then once you get to the highest dose, that's
0: it. What's the highest dose compared to the lowest dose? So I think, I believe that the
2: highest dose for Wigobi is the three milligrams. Right. Um, I think that's the highest dose, but again, don't quote me because I don't. I don't prescribe that one, but I think it's three milligrams that it goes up to, Um, and then at that point. So with the with
1: the the highest dose that we use is one milligram. And would every diabetes patient, uh, type two diabetes patient, be on one milligram? In an in a ideal. Yeah, we we
2: that's what we try to do is optimize them on the one milligram. So we don't keep them. We don't we don't tend to sort of do this halfway house business um, where we sort of have them on a low dose. Not that theoretically, if they had a good response on a lower dose, we could keep them on a lower dose, but generally speaking, we we titrate them to the highest dose and optimise them. Most of them need it, is what we find.
1: And the people you've had to take off, have you yourself had to take anyone off of it? So, thankfully, so far, I I haven't deprescribed it for
2: any of my patients, but they are definitely becoming a bit more desperate in terms of trying to get there. There's been a lot of prescribing the point fives uh two of the point fives and things like that which we're being told we shouldn't do anymore okay if that has to
1: stop then it might be more
2: problematic
1: would that have the same effect to yeah it just it just means two injections at the same time gosh and um in terms of obviously reducing the well i guess i'm not entirely sure what i'm trying to ask but the other medication, is it is it sort of just as effective? If you take someone off of this, can you get them to the same levels? So the that difficulty you
2: would? is that this is very. This tends to be, um, certainly according to the Nice guidelines, you're not meant to prescribe it until it's it's actually meant to be your fourth line agent. Uh, other guidelines are, are slightly different. Uh, so the American guidelines and the European guidelines. <laughs> favorite earlier on particularly in people who have risk factors and okay. um, so like if, they, if you've got heart disease or something you may well be prescribed this earlier on or if obesity is a big issue um but generally speaking these are people who have had diabetes for a fairly long time um, or already probably on the metformin on some of these other medications that are available as well and this is going to be like you know that. Yeah, their thing, their step before insulin, and if they um, if in a world where we didn't have this, those people
0: would have gone on to insulin. Got it. So is the insulin that you are treating for type two diabetes similar to how insulin treats type one? Type one. Is it yeah. the same?
2: So a lot of
0: yes. Um, the
2: the difference is, as I said, that because they because type 2's tend to be more resistant, you mm. often need higher doses. Um, they also don't always need to have it with every meal in the same way that right. most of the type one patients do. Yep. So most of the type ones will give themselves like their background insulin, and then they'll also do with their <coughs> meals. Um, they'll they'll take a dose of insulin yep. short acting to cover that particular meal. A lot there are type two. Diabetic patients who do end up on that, um, normally people that have had the disease for a long time and then their pancreas becomes a bit knackered and so they're not anyway producing much insulin, so they might end up like that.
0: Does it? But most does it transfer? Can it transfer? Can to you type can you go from type two to type one? Or so you're on never classed
2: as a type one, but um, essentially you then become not just insulin resistant but short on insulin as well, and you do get to a point after just sort of about ten years. The disease your and your your sort of own insulin production does seem to tail off quite a bit but it's variable between people a lot of those people though can manage with just once daily insulin they don't necessarily need to have with every meal right. so they might just be on like a long-acting insulin but some of them will will need more and the downsides of insulin obviously are that it can send your sugars too low yeah. so it's a massive change in lifestyle for people frequent testing Issues with driving, work, those sorts of things. Um, and also, it actually makes you gain weight.
0: Right.
2: Interesting. Because mm-hmm. type 1 diabetics often are underweight, aren't they? Uh, normally, at, at diagnosis, they often lose weight, um,
1: but the insulin can make them put mm-hmm. on weight. Right. Um, the other medications you use, like met- metformin, yeah. how do those affect uh, weight loss? Do they have nice. a similar... So um, they're all different. Metformin
2: tends to be weight neutral. Okay. Although there are definitely people that lose weight when they start metformin, yeah. um, which is probably more to do with the side effects as well, because some people get tummy pains and a bit of nausea with it as mm. well. Um, but generally it's classed as weight neutral. Glipizide mm. makes you gain weight. Mm. Um, So in the past it was like a thing that thin... Thin type two diabetics got put on glyburide. Oh gosh! Fatter ones got yeah. put on on um, on metformin. Yeah. That's no longer the case now. It's it's metformin for everybody. Um, and then some of these other medications. So there's a class called the SGLT2s. The the flozin medications. They they make you lose weight as well. Um, so has
1: it never been um, what's the word in the past um, discovered? Not discovered. You. Um, has it never been used in the past? Have people never sort of taken advantage of those weight loss uh, side effects from a non-diabetic perspective? But the, the SGLT2 yeah. ones. So I'm, Manipulated was the word. I yeah,
2: so, so those particular medications, the way in which they make you lose weight, they're also one of the newer classes yeah. and they've got lots of prognostic benefit and they're being used now for patients with kidney disease and heart disease and things as well those ones they the weight loss tends to be more of a diuretic effect so they make you wee out more sugar and Mm. then that draws out water so theoretically if you are not like if your sugars aren't really high and you and you're not losing lots of sugar in your urine and it probably wouldn't have quite the same effect on your weight
1: oh gosh it's so interesting isn't it that said people use diuretics like, yeah you
2: know you yeah. people taking a bit like a diuretic before they have like a wedding or something to go to yeah to get them dehydrated so that they look nice and slim we uh, we
1: spoke last week to a bodybuilder mm. um last week's podcast or it might be a couple of weeks ago yeah. or ahead when we uh, released this um and it was interesting because to get on stage you really need to be nice and dehydrated you, your skin mm. needs to be like sort of nice and tight against your muscles to show mm. you off in there uh, and she was talking <laughs> us through the process but um, it's fascinating do they, do they use that no, kind of thing? I don't They're think nice. so I mean I'm sure some people do but mm. um, because it's not really a regulated uh, industry no. and no. It's, yeah. uh, it's interesting
0: a quick question kind of going back to drugs and weight loss yeah. there are um, certain drugs that are used for weight loss yeah um, do you have any so
2: to be honest over the years there have been a few that have sort of come and gone and um, mainly because there's been unacceptable side effects from them um and so they've they, they've basically lost their approval and right. um, the only one really that we still use um is a medication that um makes you basically um not absorb fat so something called all yeah right. which again you can buy in the pharmacy yeah, yeah, I've seen um that. can't remember what the what the Ali- name is that, yeah yes, exactly and yeah. Um, yeah i don't remember exactly what what the brand name is that you can buy but something like that and that that doesn't it's got a more modest effect on weight so you're talking about
0: more like five percent weight loss which is still which is still good,
2: and, and we, you know, we certainly do. Is use there anyone it. you rec-
0: You is there any type of person you recommend that
2: to? So we do, we do prescribe it um, quite quite frequently for patients. Normally, if they've got BMI over thirty and they're you know really struggling with weight loss, have tried other like lifestyle things. Or- and and they need a bit of a bit of help with it, then that's something we prescribe quite regularly. Um, but a lot of people in my experience stop it because they don't like the side effects. Yes, I've heard. It it gives you basically because because you're not absorbing fat, you get really fatty, disgusting poos. Um mm. so it can cause some like fecal urgency, leakage, oh, gosh. um sort of you know, yeah. that that kind of thing, which obviously is not so pleasant um the again some of some of the way these medications work is to try and train you not to eat these things because it's you see the side effects so you decide oh, okay i'm not i'm not going to eat that because i know what will happen um
0: but some people just say no i I can't i can't deal with this and they stop it yes i think that's understanding (laughs) (laughs) i mean we've all had you know post having babies there's all been certain side effects and certain things that happen to your body Um, that you have no control over and that is one thing but when you are like putting things into your body yeah
1: but the other thing is when you have
0: had a really sort of fatty meal
1: and certainly the consistency of your poo does change without this medication so I can't imagine sort of that feeling with it (laughs) it.
0: (laughs) absolutely Uh. not Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> on that note. On that note, yeah. Oh gosh,
1: it's so interesting. I just quickly want to touch on something because when we trained as nutritionists, evidence based mm. nutrition practitioners, we were always sort of um, told that type two diabetes, certainly very early stages, can be reversed slash put into remission by just by diet and exercise. As yeah. we know, when we exercise, we release insulin as a yeah. byproduct. You know how how. Well, talk us through that. How does it first of all? How does it work, and um, how long might it take, and what needs to be?
0: And and is it? I guess it's. Um, is it a type? There'll be a type of patient that is more likely than obviously someone who's too far gone, or not? No,
2: so exa- exactly. I think that's. I think that's really important. I think that what you know, we we've got really good trial data that has shown that if you sort of make these changes early on you can reverse diabetes um absolutely um before the sort of damage is done and stuff and actually there's what we call a legacy effect it seems to affect it it seems to just reduce even if even if you didn't reverse your diabetes or you reversed it and then went and then it, it came back years later that early period where you've made those changes is so important to the development of complications later on um, so it's really, really important in those first few years to try and get on top of it. Um, and absolutely what, you know, it's about insulin resistance and that's basically about having, having fat, um, ex- excess fat that's making your body resistant to the insulin. So if you lose weight, you can absolutely reverse it. Um, as you know, the difficulty is losing weight. Yeah. And that's, that's really, really tricky for people but certainly there are trials that show that with lifestyle measures and um, intensive lifestyle change that people do do it and they do they do go into remission
1: um, and there's lots of evidence about these very low calorie diets isn't yeah, there and, yeah and those are even harder calories. to um to uh, stick yeah. to than uh yeah just being in a small there there deficit. is also
2: there has been um i mean there was a, a big study that was done in the UK um which was which was sort of like a, a changing uh, you know everyone's perception on diabetes where they did put people on these very low calorie yeah. diets so like 800 calories a day um and people did manage to go into remission with their diabetes. Um, it should be said, though, that a lot of it, I think that all of them were, had, were less than 10 years from diagnosis, okay. so, it, again, they were people who were fairly early on um, in the disease process, but they, they did, they went into remission, and so there has been a, a, a pilot locally as well of, you know, basically extending that um, to see can we give people, like, these shakes. Um, yeah.
0: The problem, again, is sustainability. Is, yeah. yeah Yeah, it's all very well for a few weeks but after what four weeks of eating 800 calories a day you start feeling very low in energy yeah um, and also you stop moving and so however much we want people to you want people to also increase their exercise because that also helps with the insulin if people are not taking in enough energy then they're trying to preserve energy and and that also becomes so
2: again when you do it in the trials they do it alongside that so they are you know they have people dedicated to getting these people exercising um is a whole program
0: how does that what well, i'd love, into to, see, lo- well, I'd into I'd love to see i'd love to see after you know the first few days you probably can do that but like we know we've all tried some low calorie diets after a few days after a week you start feeling you know your body mm. starts feeling exhausted and so it becomes harder and harder to really yeah. do anything that's that's
2: I mean, they only keep you on the, low, on the very low-calorie diet. for, And, it, and it, the other thing is it's not, it's not food. It's shakes. Yeah, right. So they, they're giving you like... Yeah, a, so which, again, is like, you know, how are you going to necessarily sustain that? Um, but they only keep you on that for a fairly short period of time. So it's only like a few months. And then after that... So it's just to get those health markers down, them. and then they can bring you back so up So basically, up. you lose a lot of weight, and then, and then they go into this maintenance phase... Where they, where they, yeah. think interesting, but sometimes really
1: interesting. I mean, sometimes a health scare is just the ideal motivation to start. Yeah, for some exercising and moving, but it's but it's again, amazing the amount of people who it can't even motivate. You know,
2: I think that some,
1: I, I think it's variable.
2: Um, people's response when you get like a diagnosis of diabetes, for example, um. Think it really depends so much on your background you know cultural factors things like that but for a lot of people you know they their whole family are diabetic yeah. they're kind of used to it it's not it, they don't see it necessarily even as being a big deal anymore or they don't fully really understand what the implications of it, it are because it's not a disease that you that you really feel and I think that's I think that's where it can be really difficult because if you don't if you feel well you've got no symptoms where's really the the motivation to change it, Um, it's difficult to kind of have that foresight to see... That later on down the line it can cause you all these all these problems. Um,
1: when and then we will let you go in a minute. I, <laughs> I've also got one. No, I was just going to ask, how do most <laughs> people get diagnosed with type two diabetes? Is it just a simple blood test, or are they coming to you with other screening. complications?
2: most most of them are screening. Um, now we do a lot more testing than we used to do. Um, everyone who's over forty is eligible for an NHS health check. Um, and certainly if you have any kind of Family background yeah. of diabetes, um, or other risk factors for it. So certain ethnic groups, um, we probably are likely to screen you even younger if you present to us for other reasons. Um, I, I mean, I do a, a lot of the blood tests we use is a, now is an HBA1C, which is not it's not a single sugar measure. It's basically looking at your average sugar levels over the over a three month period, um, and we we do a lot of those blood tests now. So. I would say that most of them are picked up more on those kinds of screening bloods than anything else. Um, some people present with symptoms. Um, but most people, the symptoms are so vague, and you know, it, they just don't even notice that they're a little bit more fatigued, that they're going to the toilet a bit more, yeah. they feel a bit more thirsty. A lot of people would just would just ignore those symptoms. I think is
0: the reality. Um, and my, I think my final question is we automatically assume that people with type 2 diabetes are overweight. Do you come across people that um, develop type 2 diabetes that aren't necessarily overweight?
2: The vast majority are overweight or if not necessarily what you would class as overweight because because of their cultural genetic background are more predisposed and therefore they're the, their ideal weight i guess is probably lower um so for example people from an asian background um actually the bmi thresholds are lower so you're you really ideally should be between 18 and 23 if oh, you're right. asian um whereas for a Caucasian population that's between 20 to 25 um would be normal weight um so you might have someone who to you looks looks very slim but probably for them they're, they're probably overweight um, right. compared to what they should be um, and yeah you can get some sort of rarer forms of genetic diabetes as well where there's like a, a single gene variant those those are those are fairly rare right um, so and so those people may again be normal weight so in the general it is people in who general are... it's 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 carrying more fat on your body than you should ideally have for you most likely and there's also a question uh, there's also about distro different distribution of fat as well Um, we know that you can be you can look slim but you can distribute your fat in a more dangerous way so people who put their fat on more around their organs are unfortunately i mean there's nothing you can do about it it's just one of those things it's odds law that
0: you happen to be one of those people um but those are the people that are more at risk um and one other thing that mm -hmm. just came to me which i actually think is quite an interesting question for those who don't know much about Um, type two diabetes can um forget actual um fat gain, um obviously diet is a byproduct of that. But if you're someone who eats more sugar, are you someone that's possibly more likely to get type two diabetes? If you're
2: no, so I I think there's a a misconception that it's a oh you you ate lots of sugar and therefore you got diabetes um. No, um, it's about, it's about putting on weight basically. Now, of course there is a correlation between yeah. eating lots of sugar and putting on weight. Um, so yes, in that sense it it could be related. Um, but you have to remember that it's not just about sugar in biscuits and cakes and things like that. And that's a massive misconception. Um, we our bodies break down all the carbohydrates we eat into sugar basically and that is what we are absorbing um so potatoes pasta rice all of these common things that we eat a lot of that's that all turns into sugar in our bodies um and so actually when we talk to people about their diet um when they get a diagnosis of diabetes what we're saying to them is you have to look at your carbohydrate intake not just sort of you know the the refined sugar that you're Mm -hmm. eating but it's also about about those carbohydrates and reducing your portion sizes so we don't say no i mean there there is obviously a movement for people that say oh you know very low carbohydrate or no carbohydrate diet we don't we don't tend to advocate that but but we do tell people that reducing your your portions of carbohydrates is really important and also going for those kind of lower GI
1: yeah I was going
0: to say would you choose more um if you're someone who eats white pasta would you say recommend that they should be going for more whole grain more fiber yeah so it's just to do with the
2: with the absorption of the sugar so if it's over a more prolonged period it gives your body more time to be able to deal with it um whereas if you sort of get this very sudden like rush of sugar um obviously that that overwhelms and what you want to reduce is those kinds of like peaks and drops in your in your sugar levels you want a more steady state
0: okay all right i think that's i think that quite a few people um think or correlate you know high sugar diet with diabetes
1: um just to finish off and I know you're not probably expecting this question, but we ask all of our <laughs> people we um, interview. Ooh. So obviously you are a busy mum of four. You work yeah. awfully hard. Um, <laughs> what um, is something that you absolutely prioritise to look after yourself, your health? What is something that is like a non-negotiable for you in the week? Oh, that would be going uh, to <laughs> <laughs> the Anna. That's not what I was getting at. <laughs> good but is good the, answer. Good answer. <laughs> Exercise. Guys. but is there anything that you know you do for yourself that you absolutely prioritize
2: i mean I, I i really do i'm like joking aside yeah. i really do prioritize that time having that like you know um session a week um it, it's really important for me and, and also i love my pilates as well yeah. so doing that um is great to have super
1: yeah. lovely oh well thank you so much for your <laughs> time for it's such me. an interesting topic and i and we could go on for days
2: can not we i, mean, yes. I hope it's interesting to everyone i'm sure it but, will be. Um, <laughs> i'm
0: sure it will be if anyone has any questions about it obviously please send them our way um yeah Absolutely. super
1: lovely nice chatting to you thanks mary thanks and it's